We're going to be studying from Matthew chapter 7, which is a very well-known verse. And it's interesting what verses and what sayings of Jesus have entered into popular vernacular. Because there are a lot of verses and a lot of sayings. And sometimes people quote Jesus and they don't even know it. Because they hear it in movies, they hear it in literature. And so Jesus' words uh, are everywhere. And, and certainly Matthew chapter 7 is something that you've probably heard. You probably, you can, you've, I've heard all kinds of people quote Matthew chapter 7. I've heard the most religious of people quote it. And I've heard even atheists quote Matthew chapter 7. So it's interesting uh, how prevalent Matthew chapter 7 is in our culture and in our society and I hope we can get some clarification on what that means for us as Christians. But I first want to begin by talking about a story. And it's a story that Stephen Covey, the great Stephen Covey, began one of his books, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he also would begin many of his lectures with this story, and it goes like this. It was a dark and stormy night. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? And a crew member came to the captain and said, wake up. And the captain's, well, what's going on? And the crew member says, sorry to wake you, sir, but we have a serious problem. Well, what is it? And the crew member says, there is a ship that is 20 miles away and it's in our sea lane and it refuses to move. The captain says, well, just tell them to move. And we've tried that, sir. We have tried to tell this boat to move, and they refuse to move. Well, then I'm going to get up, and I'm going to tell them, send out the signal, move 20 degrees starboard now. They send out the signal. Signal comes back. No, you move 20 degrees starboard now. Who is this? Who does this person think they are? Why don't you tell them that this is Captain Horatio, Horatio Hornblower, the 26th, commanding you to move starboard 20 degrees at once? Signal returns. This is Seaman Carl Jones II, commanding you to move starboard 20 degrees at once. What arrogance! I mean, the presumption. Here is a seaman commanding a captain. We could just blow them out of the water if we wanted to. Okay, tell them who we are. This is the mighty Missouri flagship of the 7th Fleet. Please move. And the signal comes back. This is a lighthouse. Now that story sounds kind of far-fetched, but it's actually based on a true story. Do we always know who we're talking to? The presumption, the assumptions that we have about people, identity. Here this captain in his hubris and his ego thought he knew who he was talking to, didn't he? 
And his ego and everything about himself got in the way of the actual truth and even trying to find out who he was talking to. It was all about himself. And and usually what Stephen Covey would do with this is to apply it to leadership. But I think you can apply it to almost every relationship, can't you? Because the ego, which all of us have, sometimes creeps up and it tries to get in the way of actually knowing the truth about the people we know and love. Doesn't it? And really, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This great sermon where Jesus says that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. And you see, what Jesus is trying to do is trying to get the emphasis off of the externals. Because the Pharisees in their religion and in their goodness had become so focused on the externals, on what they could see, on what they knew, that they had totally disregarded the inner spiritual truth of what it was all about. They had forgotten that ultimately God is concerned about our hearts and about the inner reality. And when we come to that knowledge and we come to that realization, then we have to force ourselves to recognize there are things that I do not know. There are things that I don't know about you and you don't know about me. And so Jesus, in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 7, He says, judge not lest you be judged. Another way of saying it is, stop judging people. Now the first thing that we want to do when we start talking about judgment and judging other people is that we begin to be judgmental because we start thinking about other people that are judgmental. Don't we? Because in your mind, you didn't look at yourself. You thought about that person in your life who you know right now who is really judgmental. And that's the thing. That's the danger of this is that, once again, what are we focusing on? We're focusing on the externals. Right? We're focusing on the same thing that the Pharisees... Because when we start talking about being judgmental, we're thinking of everybody else. Except for who? Numero uno. And why do you think Jesus is talking about this problem? It's because, number one, we're judgmental. All of us. We're all judgmental. And that goes for the uber-religious person, and that goes for the person who doesn't even know God. Every person is judgmental. We have a tendency to judge each other. Don't we? And there's some sense of it that it's natural to judge. There's some, in some ways, we can't help it. Here's an amazing fact. Research has now concluded, to some degree, first impressions. Do you know how quickly that someone makes up their mind about you in a first impression They used to say a minute. They used to say 30 seconds. They used to say 20 seconds. 
one-tenth of a second that your mind begins to make itself up about another person. Isn't that amazing? Because we're trying to interpret who these people are that are around us. And so we start thinking back into our experience, into our memory. Who is this person? Are they like this person or that person? And we begin to judge... But what Jesus is trying to challenge us is where is our spiritual energy going? Is our spiritual energy going towards the judgment of people or is it going inside of ourselves? What happens is is that when we begin to lose sight of that spiritual energy and where it's going, the number one thing that we lose is number one, our relationship with God. Remember that story of the Pharisee And the tax collector, they're in the temple. And the tax collector is praying to God and he lifts his hands to God and he lifts his head to God and he's praying and he looks over out of the corner of his eye and he sees the tax collector there and he says, I thank God that I'm not as other men and especially this tax collector over there. And he begins to lose sight of who he is. Then instead of thinking about his own sins, his own deficits and what he needs to work at, He's looking over at the other person and saying, well, I thank God I'm not as bad as that guy. And he's lost sight of who he is in the sight of God. And then he loses sight of who God is because it says, and there was only one that left the temple justified, and it was the tax collector who was not very revered in that day and age. And I don't think they still are, are they? Of course, if I ask that question closer to April 15th, I might get a little better response. But not only do we lose sight of who God is, not only do we lose sight of who each other or ourselves, we lose sight of the beauty in each other, don't we? Because we've already made up our mind as to who this person is. And we have stopped any sort of real dialogue, any sort of truth coming from that other person. The Greek word for judge is krino which is to assume the position of a judge. So when we begin judging people unfairly, it actually says more about us than it does them. Because we have assumed a position that we do not have in making unfair judgments. And the thing that it gets to is that human beings are difficult to judge accurately. You know why? Because every one of us in this room are contradictions. Every one of us have contradictions in our life. And as the, the songwriter, the poet said, he's a walking contradiction. Partly truth, partly fiction, taking every wrong direction on his lonely way home. And so it's difficult to be able to assess each other fair and accurately. Number two, what is the criteria for our judgment? Look at what it says in verse 2. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is saying that the same criteria that you use judging people is what you're asking God to do to you. 
And in fact, what you're asking other people. Now, are you confident in the way that you assess other people? Do you want people using the same criteria of judgment that you use on them on you? And in this, you can hear the golden rule, can't you? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Judge people how you would want to be judged. Also in it, you also can hear the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. There's a contingency in there. There's a dependence that if I'm going to be judged fairly by God, I need to judge other people fairly. So what's the criteria for our judgment? Let me ask you a few questions about my judgment, and it's maybe about your judgment too. First question is, when you're judging someone, do you really know their story? Do you really know their story? Do you know their suffering? Do you know their growth? Do you know how far they've come? A lot of times what we know is very little about each other. And usually it begins because we don't listen to one another, do we? But yet we can make vast and sweeping judgments about people we absolutely know nothing about. We make all kinds of judgments about people that are on the other side of the globe. And we know nothing about them. We know nothing of their story. We know nothing of their suffering. Because you know what? Here's another thing. We all hide it from each other. Because we don't want to show the wounds that we have on the inside because we're scared to show them. Because usually when we begin to share our wounds, a lot of people don't respect them. A lot of people use that as an excuse to hurt us further. Do we know each other's stories? That's the first question. The second question, do we really know their heart? Do we know their motivations? Do we know their intentions? Do we know why they're doing what they're doing? And the Bible reminds us in 1 Samuel 16, God says, do not look at his appearance, the height or his stature, for the Lord does not see man as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, there are things about me that you cannot know. And there's things about you I cannot know. So why am I spending all of my spiritual energy judging people that I absolutely know nothing about? Another question is number three, do you really know their destiny? Yes, we know where they are today. You know where I am today, but do you know where someone is going? We don't, do we? But we make these judgments with very little information. A lot of times we judge people on their color, their race. It says in Acts chapter 7, 25, that of one blood has He made all nations. No matter what your color is, we all have that in common. We are one blood. And actually, race is something that's made up. It's the same thing as eye color. You don't see people get bent out of shape about who's blue-eyed and brown-eyed, do you? But yet, we will do the same with skin color, won't we? Or with language. Get all bent out of shape. 
Or we judge people by their attractiveness, their weight, their clothes, their hair. The Bible says that true beauty is the hidden person of the heart with an incorruptible ornament of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. That real beauty isn't on the outward appearance. It's on the inside. Or we judge people by their gender. Where Jesus or Paul said, for there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, nor neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And guess what? This isn't a new problem. That the church struggled with it in the first century. Sometimes we, we like to think that they had it all figured out in the first century because they had the apostles. But they had their problems. Listen to what was going on in the day of James. James chapter 2. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. There's that word, isn't it? Partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man, if there's someone who comes to church, a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should come in a poor man in filthy clothes... And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the Scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It goes on to say, For judgment is without mercy to one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We look at each other and we judge each other, don't we? And sometimes that judgment goes in the opposite way. We think that someone, because they do have nice clothing, they don't have any problems. We can judge people in all different ways, can't we? We can judge the poor man and we can judge the rich man as well. You know, Mahatma Gandhi one time got very interested in the teachings of Jesus Christ. And the story goes is that he was so interested that he went to church and he wanted to talk to the minister about the teachings of Jesus. And when he got to the church, someone took him by the side and said, hey, no, you go to your own people and worship with them. And Gandhi responded, well, if Christianity has a caste system, then I'll remain a Hindu. And when you read the New Testament, you don't find a caste system, do you? In fact, the Bible over and over again says there shall be no partiality. That you shouldn't look down on people that are different from you. Embrace people. Love people. But yet our churches sometimes can become judgmental for all the wrong reasons. And what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, where should the focus be? Where should the focus be in our spiritual lives. And we have a scene from a carpenter right here. Listen to this. Matthew 7. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? 
But do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck out of your eye and look at a plank in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. There is only one person in this room that you can actually judge. And that's yourself. That's the only person. And Jesus gives this scene from, from the workshop. And it's kind of a funny scene, isn't it? It's like a little piece of straw is in your brother's eye. You're, you're sitting there studying this little piece, this little speck in his eye. And meanwhile, it says you've got a beam coming out of your own eye. And you're sitting there trying to help your brother with the speck. How many of you would like to go to a surgeon that's blind? But many times, that's who we are spiritually. We're spiritually blind trying to help somebody. And meanwhile, we've never helped ourselves. And Jesus says that your spiritual energy, your focus needs to be on yourself. And that we need to give people the same passes, the same benefits of the doubt that we give ourselves. Or, if you're judgmental on yourself, you should give yourself the passes and the benefits of the doubt that you give other people. But Mother Teresa said it pretty plainly and succinctly when she said this, listen to this. If you judge people, you have no time to love them. If I am so busy in your life, picking it apart, tearing it apart, consumed with trying to get you right, and meanwhile, never paying attention to the brokenness in my own life. The focus is in the wrong place. And Jesus doesn't tell us here that we can't tell wrong for right, because that's one of the things that He tells us to do. In verse 15, He also says to go on and to, to, to prove who the false teachers were and to know them by their fruits. And so we can discern wrong and right. We can discern things about people. Otherwise, we can never stand up for ourselves. But the point he's trying to make is where are you spending your spiritual energy? Are you consumed with what everybody else is doing or are you working on yourself? That's what Jesus is saying, that sometimes we're so busy judging each other that we forget about ourselves. And one of the things too, when we begin to judge people so harshly, where is the encouragement? One writer once said it like this, if you treat an individual as he is, or worse, he will remain how he is. But if you treat him as if he were what he ought to be and could be, he will become what he ought and could be. You know, so many times we pe treat people the way that we think they are. And in that, there is no hope for them to transcend where they are. I'll leave you with one last little personal story. The lesson will be yours. My mother had gifted Riverbell with a, a number of books. And so it was really fun to go through childhood books of my brother and myself looking at these books. And what was interesting is, is that when I was looking in these books, I found a drawing that I had drawn 
when I was about seven years old. And this just happened in the last few months, which there's an irony to it. But in this book, there's a picture, and it's a, it's a boy at a desk, and there's a teacher. And the teacher is saying to the student, you will fail. And the student says, no, I won't. I had forgotten all about drawing that picture. But what happened was, was when I was in second grade, about two weeks into school, the teacher asked me to spell a word in front of the class. And I couldn't get through it. I could not spell the word. And in that, she says, oh, don't worry about it. You're going to fail anyway. So, of course, I was shattered. I would go home crying to my mother that I'm only two weeks into school and she says I'm going to fail. What hope is there for me? So my mom is perturbed, to say the least, and gives the teacher a call and says, what's going on here? It's only two weeks into school and you've already told Laws that he's going to fail. And she says, why did you put that poor boy into my class? Why do I have to teach him? He's... She said, you should be grateful that you have three smart children. And if you're lucky, and this is not an insult to truck drivers, but this is an insult from her. She says he, he, can, might, be a, he might be a truck driver. And what's interesting about that book, it was about a truck driver that I wrote that and drew that picture in. So my mom made up her mind that she was not going to let me fail second grade. And she went and bought the, the lesson plan for second grade, so I had, it, I had it pretty rough in second grade. Because I went to school and I was a space cadet and I, I couldn't pay attention. But then my mom made sure that when I got home that I had to go through the lesson plan again because she was not going to let me fail second grade. Do you see what a judgment can do to somebody? I'm very blessed in the fact that I had a mother and a father that loved me so much that they said they weren't going to let me fail. But she had already made her mind up in the first two weeks that I was unteachable. And she also was a member of the same church we went to. So there's all kinds of judgments that went wrong there, weren't there? As to who we wanted to be my teacher and as far as what I could accomplish in the classroom. I guess it was just a few days later to where I concluded completing a doctorate of education. But what if I let that be the sentence, the truth for me as a seven-year-old? Because let me tell you, when an adult tells you the truth and, and tells you what your future is, you, you tend to believe it, don't you? And we do that to each other. We tell each other, we judge each other, and we risk tearing away someone's future and destiny because we think we know something. Judge not lest you be judged. God has called us to mercy. God has called us to love one another, hasn't He? And yes, we can discern what's right and wrong, but there are things that we are limited in knowing about each other. Don't rob a person of their potential. 
Encourage the person that's next to you. Encourage your family. Encourage your neighbor. Be a believer. Be a believer not only in God, but in the people in your life. If we're busy judging people, we don't have any time to love them. Are you a Christian this morning? It's a challenging life because we're called not just to judge. We're called to love people. Sometimes in spite of themselves. We're called to believe. To believe in Christ. To believe in each other. To believe in a community of believers. To repent of sin. To turn from that that hurts us. To turn from self-pride and egotism. To confess Jesus as the Son of the living God. To be baptized, immersed into His body of the church. And to walk with Him daily as a believer. Are you a believer today? Do you need a prayer of healing or a prayer of encouragement? If you do, we want to assist you. We're going to sing this next song to encourage you. So if you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.